we're not entirely sure how much exposure you may get from, say, just putting a jacket on, a turnout jacket or pants. There are no current studies that really clearly show uh, what level of, of exposure you get from putting that on. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me, although it may delay me a bit. Thank you for joining me today on another edition of Code 3. This is the show that gives you all the information on a firefighting topic you need in about 20 minutes. Now let's get started. A recent study done at North Carolina State University took a look at PFAS chemicals used in turnout gear. It came to some interesting conclusions. Layers of PFAS are what gives current turnout coats and pants their oil and water repellency. They're also a known carcinogen, so downing PPE made with PFAS chemicals is dangerous even before you step onto your engine or truck. Unfortunately, when the study looked at alternatives to PFAS chemicals, it found that all oil repellents can also repel water, but all water repellents don't necessarily repel oil. My guest today is here to explain this. His name is Brian Ormond. He's an assistant professor of textile engineering, chemistry, and science at NC State. He also wrote up the results of the study. And Brian Ormond joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you with me. You wrote your report based on research that studied PFAS and firefighting PPE. It suggests a potential quandary if we eliminate PFAS from turnout gear. Tell me about the trade-offs. Yeah, so when we when we look at PPE, the study of PPE, it, it really is a study of trade-offs. And Historically or traditionally, the work that we've done in the uh, Wilson College of Textiles at NC State University, uh, we have focused on those trade-offs for like thermal protection versus thermal burden, you know, making sure people don't get burned, but also make sure they don't have a heat stroke. Um, And so we started looking uh, more into this kind of additional trade-off area of chemical exposure uh, due to the issues of cancer in the fire service. And so one of those areas happens to be uh, the PFAS or per and polyfluoroalkyl substances that are used in the gear. You say that very smoothly. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, you, you say it enough when it comes out a little, a little easier every time, but we can stick with PFAS. Um, you know, one of the, one of the things about those, you know, they are very uh, we, very toxic chemicals. Uh, two of them have been named uh, a known or a possible carcinogen. Um, and so there's, there's the problem with them is there's probably 10 or 15,000 of them, uh, that, that are possible and that can be found in different products, um, across industries and things like that. But we start looking at what they're, why are they in the gear to begin with specifically protective clothing, uh, to understand the performance they provide versus a potential exposure source. Um, and so when we, when we look at that balance and those trade-offs, you know, the PFAS chemistries are, are applied to the gear or used in the gear from a manufacturing standpoint for really two main reasons. And one of those is to provide water and oil repellency. Uh, so 
rep applying repellency or, or, or providing repellency from water is a little bit easier than oils. And so it takes special chemistry to get you to repelling oils like gasoline or diesel fuel or hydraulic fluid, things like that. And when we go kind of looking at the chemistry, that's the, the pretty much the only chemistry that we know of uh, that allows you to get that level of oil repellency is the fluorinated chemistry. And so when we, one of the things we're doing with our, our federally uh, funded FEMA funded projects is looking at well, what happens when we replace those. And so if we, if, if we can't repel those oils, one of the things that we are seeing is that if you have a flammable liquid that can soak into the gear and then you're still near a direct flame, uh, a spark, something like that, it can catch fire um, and it can burn. Um, and, and really what you're doing is the, the fabric is not burning itself. It's just the fuel that's soaked into it is burning. You know, best case, it burns out really quickly and it's not a big issue. Worst case, could be pretty bad. Um, and so one of the things that we're trying to do is understand what level of repellency do firefighters actually need in the field? What level are they currently getting with the legacy or traditional gear? You know, and is this is this repellency and flammability uh, potential issue that we see, is that something that we're just measuring in the lab or, or is it actually representative of what happens with firefighters in the field? Do you believe that it is something that actually happens or do you think it's more a lab situation? I think it can happen. And, and I've talked to a number of firefighters that have said, you know, if they're responding to, you know, car accidents and, and different things like that, um, you know, they come across gasoline and diesel fuel and, and uh, other types of flammable liquids. Um, and, and I think one of the things we're trying to do is make sure firefighters just understand the limitations and the changes in the gear as they transition to, say, PFAS free materials and, and, and PPE. Um, it, just so they understand, because you may not have ever thought about it, you know, you don't may not know right off the shelf, it's not going to repel those things anymore, where maybe it did for a little while. We do know that as you wash and age things, um, the, the finishes do start coming off. And so you can get things absorbing. Uh, these flammable liquids can absorb over time. Um, but but there is a difference in the new finishes, um, the PFAS-free finishes from, from the outset. You mentioned something that's in the report that putting turnout gear into a washing machine damages the what happens to the fabric yeah so washing is is one of the uh more damaging things to fabrics just because of the 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 water the temperatures the surfactants and then really the agitation that's there and so what can happen is it's not all just the washing it's kind of the combined exposures and so then our in our study that's one of the things we did is is we put uh, fabrics through UV light first, like sunlight exposure, and then we took them to heat, um, you know, an oven type type of exposure to simulate that exposure to, to flames in a building, uh, and then washed it. And so, what can happen with some of those things, those other exposures, is you can have fibers breaking apart. You can have the the finishes can actually break down uh, after being exposed to continuous uh, UV light or heat and things like that. And then when you wash, those finishes can come off. Uh, when we talk about the gear washing specifically, though, the the agitation and the you know, the g forces and and the abrasion that happens in a washer extractor um, can can really open the materials up. Uh, you can get things breaking off, uh, fibers, little lint, dust, things like that, uh, just as you would with any other type of um, you know uh, 
you know, t-shirt or, or pair of pants, things that you wash at home, you have a lot of lint that breaks off. And that's really what's happening in that washing process. It's really about the abrasion that's going on there. Now, this is important because firefighters need to wash off the carcinogens that they pick up from structure fires, which is a whole other threat. Absolutely. And that, that's where it comes to this. There's so many different balances and trade-offs to think about. And one of those outside of the PFAS side is is really that need, like you said, to wash things to get the the uh, the other types of carcinogens and other types of fire ground contaminants off the gear. But then the more you wash it, the more it might degrade. Um, you could also ask on the other side of that, what happens if you don't wash it? And do those materials and those chemicals and the things from the fire ground, do they just sit in the gear and also degrade it? That's something else that we could ask and look at. And so this is kind of this delicate balance of understanding you know, how much, how do we clean effectively? Are there, are there better cleaning procedures? And we, we've also had uh, um, uh, FEMA funded projects to look at those as well. I'll be back with more right after this. You can't fight what you can't see. Hypersight is an affordable vehicle mounted thermal imager that sees through smoke and cuts through the chaos. Hypersight works in the same harsh environments you do. Hypersight sees through smoke to show the seat of the fire for a more targeted, effective attack. Hypersight enables you to make immediate decisions that can make all the difference. Go to hyper-sight.com to learn more. That's H-Y-P-E-R-S-I-G-H-T.com. See through smoke with Hypersight by RPX Technologies. Is there any chemical that can substitute for PFAS chemicals that works even, even partly as well? It depends on what you want them to do. Um, and so one of the things, um, one of the problems with PFAS really is that they were used in way too many products um, in too many industries. And, and Better living through science. Yeah. It, it, I mean, you know, looking at, you know, products like outdoor apparel or carpeting or upholstery, you know, there's food wrappers all down the list of, of all these different industries that used PFAS. And so when when you didn't really need the oil repellency necessarily, and so if all you need, you know, in an outdoor jacket, if you're just trying to get some water repellency from from rain conditions and things like that, what you can do is there there are other chemistries that can be replaced there. And so those would be what we would call hydrocarbon wax finishes or silicone finishes, and there are a couple of others. Uh, the problem with those is they are strictly water repellents and not oil repellents. And so if you need that level of oil repellency for whatever condition that is, whether it's firefighters or military or whatever it is, we, we need to understand if, if they need those things, then there's not really a, an alternative at this point chemistry-wise. And, and people have been looking for non-fluorinated chemistries to provide that level of performance for a long time. And, and to date, we haven't really found anything that will, will provide that. Well, I'm not sure it's practical to use turnout gear that only offers protection from specific threats. I think if that was the case, most of the time firefighters would end up grabbing the best protection they could, and the light-duty PPE would end up on a shelf, mm -hmm. because they wouldn't want to take a risk on having the wrong gear with them for the circumstance. Absolutely, and and that's one of the concerns, you know, we, we've kind of in the research and uh, communities and and things like that, and even within fire fire service communities, have kind of talked about the idea of of modular systems, or and even right now they're talking about using structural gear specifically and only for structural fires, um, and having a different set of gear for say car accidents or you know roadway incidences or or other medical calls things like that. But that gets difficult. You know, it may be you know metropolitan large metropolitan departments might be able to provide that, but when you get to the 
the smaller departments, the volunteer departments? Are they going to be able to immediately go out and buy new gear, different sets of gear for different things? It's not likely, at least to begin with, without help. And so I think that's one of the things we have to look at is, is again, it goes back to a balance of giving firefighters what they need, um, understanding the the types of exposures you're going to see, and and then making sure that we're not over-engineering the gear just because we can, um, and trying to make it fit what they actually need in the field as much as possible. Well, then this this is the question that I'm hearing. What's worse, the effects of PFAS or the dangers of fighting a fire without adequate protection from flames? And that's a hard question um, because there's with PFAS, there's still there's still so much that we don't know. And this is this is kind of where I've sat with this whole thing. Being at the university, uh, I sit right in between the manufacturers and the firefighters and and try to listen to both sides and try to understand the concerns uh, from both sides and and then take the and look at the science, talk to other researchers and and try to see what do we know and what do we not know about PFAS. PFAS exposure, we're, we're not entirely sure how much exposure you may get from, say, just putting a jacket on, uh, a, a turnout jacket or pants. There are no current studies that really cle- clearly show that you get a uh, what level of, of exposure you get from putting that on. And that's not to say it's not an issue, but it's something we don't necessarily know just yet. And so we're continuing to do that. And, and we actually have funded work uh, through NIST to do some dermal absorption studies. Um, but then you come back and you have to balance and say, well, how, what's the likelihood that someone's going to get a a 20 or 30 or 40% body burn? Um, and, and that's a, that's a real tough call. And, and, and I've always told, you know, when people ask, you know, I'm, I'm not a firefighter, never been a firefighter. And it's not for me to, to, to tell them what they should or shouldn't be concerned about. But I, I do think that we can provide, you know, like I said, the, the information, uh, as much as we can and and try to make sure it's representative and and clear and can and, and I guess one thing is being clear on what we understand and what we know and acknowledging what we don't and then continuing to educate as we learn more through the science through the research that we're doing as as new topics come come up whether it's PFAS or you know one of the other things we're getting into now is what happens with lithium ion battery fires and that kind of thing uh, so it's you know, as things evolve, we have to continue to evolve with the with the science, uh, and and the PPE has to continue to evolve. So then I'm wondering, you know, in a perfect world where we knew this was going to be a, um, a carcinogen that we need to worry about, do you think it would ever have been used for for turnout gear before these PFAS chemicals existed? They were wearing rubber raincoats. I, I get, you know, it's hard to say. Um, I, I think there would have been, and I think this is something that we, we need to do more as, you know, and I say we as, you know, if it's part of the the chemical industry, the textile industry, the PPE industry, whatever it is, as chemicals are introduced um, or, or generated and invented, there needs to be a much more uh, thorough evaluation of their chemical uh, biological threats, uh, things like that, their health effects to understand, you know, in, in the, in the area of chemistry, we work with dangerous chemicals and carcinogens all the time. We don't work with them in the, in the volume that has been, that PFAS have been used in so many different products and, and places and, and, uh, industries. And so, you know, it may be that if you have something that is a very specific need that, you know, it could have been used in that type of situation. Uh, it's hard to speculate, but 
you know, even knowing it's a carcinogen, there are still other chemicals that, that are incorporated or used in certain areas uh, for specific applications or whatever it is. And, and so that's, it's definitely hard to say. Um, but what, you know, whether it's, whether it's flammable liquids or for the military, if it's, you know, warfare agents and nerve agents, uh, they have, you know, those are difficult to repel with fluorinated chemistries. And so we're talking about protection. Um, it's, it's, it's a really difficult conversation and complicated, um, to have when you're looking at those short-term you know, acute exposures to say flames or, or if it's military, like I said, you know, a warfare agent or something like that versus uh, a long-term health effect. Um, and, and it's a lot harder to quantify those. And so, you know, I always kind of, when talking about PFAS, just kind of mention that, you know, this is a complicated topic. It, it can be oversimplified really, really easily uh, or, or, or too quickly, I think. And, and so it's okay that it's complicated. We just have to acknowledge it and, and try to work around it, make sure everyone, specifically the firefighters are, are educated uh, as much as we can on the potential risks. And, and again, like I said, what we know and what we don't. And I think that's, that's where we've tried to, to focus our, our work on is really that, get as much information as we can and educate the firefighters on the, the limitations of the PPE so they can make the best decisions for themselves. Okay, last question. I'm going to ask you to dig up your crystal ball here for a second and tell me if you feel like there's a solution on the horizon, a replacement for PFAS or something that would do the job equally well that's coming. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I think about one of the one of the ways uh, to to kind of look at that going forward is if we can better understand what firefighters really do need in the field and and what kind of performance they're currently getting from gear, we may be able to completely eliminate what we perceive as a need for that type of finish or that type of of material. And that that happens through working with the manufacturers, working with the standards, and working with the firefighters in in a cohort and, and understanding. Like I said, what is it that you actually need to have in the field and not too much, but not also too little. And so I know there are these, um, like I said, non-fluorinated finishes that will give you the water repellency. So if we determine that's, you know, if that's really what they, they need to stop kind of those, uh, for lack of a better term, say a steam burn or, or burn where the water is conducting the, the heat. So you want to, you want to avoid those. Um, but then there's also, there's also different barriers, moisture barriers coming onto the to the market, and so it may be that we'll able we'll be able to to have moisture barriers that don't have fluorinated chemistry in them, and still provide the level of um, uh, thermal burden uh, release or heat release, which is what the barriers are typically used for. There, you know, stopping the moisture, but still allowing the the, the system, the fabrics to to breathe, so to speak, uh, so we combat some of that heat stress. So. I think it really depends. Um, it depends on, is it a firefighter? Is it a specific type of response? Is it uh, um, for military? That's going to be a completely different trade space in terms of what they may be able to get by with uh, compared to firefighters. And so it's, it's unfortunately, it's not an easy solution. And uh, But we're going to continue working on it and trying to bring as many perspectives, you know, whether that's firefighters, career, volunteer, you know, fire service members, test labs, organizations, manufacturers, and and federal sources and government, you know, uh, bring everybody to the table and, and try to figure out how do we move forward for the betterment of the firefighters. All right, we'll leave it there. Brian Ormond, thank you for joining me today on Code 3. All right, thank you, Scott. And there is more about PFAS chemicals in turnout gear. 
including a link to the study itself, on our website, code3podcast.com slash PFAS, P-F-A-S. It's worthwhile reading, so take a look. If you learned something new about the PFAS controversy today, please tell another firefighter about this episode. It's a great way to get more people listening, so I'd really appreciate it. Chances are they will too. Alright, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.